Hey, Vince McMahon, it's time for this week's Stick to Wrestling podcast. Oh, no, give me a break. Oh, brother. myself in times of trouble mother mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom let it be the stick to wrestling podcast i want to thank my friends in the beatles for writing that song about their favorite podcast stick to wrestling it is the only wicked good podcast out there it is the people's podcast both those claims have been proven by math and science this podcast is like a match that would sell out any arena throughout the entire world before we get rolling and this show i have been looking forward to doing Follow me on Twitter. Just search John McAdam and follow the guy who has chair fighting going on in his avatar. As if you don't have enough reasons to join our Facebook group, especially this show, because the guide to this show is going to be on the Facebook group. It's going to be a lot more enjoyable if you can check this out. With that said, I want to introduce a popular former guest, and he's going to be on this show. Mr. Brad Brightsman. Brad, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me back on. Oh, you're totally welcome. I want to tell you guys something. Everything is going great for me. It is a beautiful spring day. The Red Sox are in first place. Winter is over. And on Wednesday, before you even hear this, I'm going to get my COVID shot. And Brad, you got the shot, right? I got both of my shots in February. Yes, I did. Okay. How did it go like the first couple of days afterwards? About a day's worth of feeling down after each of them. The second shot, I felt a little more in the arm in the days after, but uh, pretty good. All, all things considered. I'm, I'm excited to get it. I, you know, I, I understand that, look, there might be a day where you're a little bit down afterwards, yeah. but it's better than getting COVID, right? Definitely. Yeah. So it, and like I said, I'm, I'm in a very upbeat mood because this has been a really rotten 13 months and it really feels like we're finally getting out of this. Yeah, it's, it's starting to feel that way. And who would have thought that 40 years later, we'd be nitpicking this list during something <laughs> called a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> and think about all the crazy stuff we have going on in the pandemic. The reason I say we're talking about a list a couple of months ago, I was looking through wrestling scans it's a really good site wrestlingscans.com they scan a few magazines from the old days and they had an annual top 50 ranking and i remember the magazine came out right around 40 years ago today i think it was like late march early april it was like if i recall correctly it was like a nice day so that's why i remember it was this the beginning of spring and we are going to talk brad and i are going to talk about this list we're not looking to nitpick it, but there's a couple of things that are like a little bit curveball-y here. I mean, Brad, what was your thoughts overall on this top 50 ranking? Well, I just trying to imagine in 1981, which was right, the first, I was 12, 13 years old, and I'm just getting my feet wet into wrestling and getting the magazines and how much fun that was at that time. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to imagine, a, what, what did they have, like one guy? This is the Wrestling World magazine, so they probably have a couple guys sitting around a table trying to come up with this list, which is we're going to nitpick now, like I said. (laughs) But um, a list of 50 guys, it's got to be very difficult to compile at that point. But who would have known that 50 years later, with by my count, 19 of these 15 guys still with us, that we would be uh, taking a look at it. But we are going to do that. 
I can I can just imagine like being those two guys sitting uh, around the table, let's say, coming up with this list and knowing that in the year 2021, which was an unthinkably long time away that we were going to be doing this. I mean, the year 2000 seemed like it was going to be, you know, we were going to be like the Jetsons. Yeah, we'd be. Yeah, we'd have jetpacks. Exactly. But now we still... have the Internet. So, you know, we didn't have that then. Can you imagine if we did? Oh, God. <laughs> I mean. I've said this before. I mean, it's it's no one exposed. There's not one person or, or anything that exposed the business more than the internet. It's it, once the internet came out, the the business was exposed. It was over. Definitely. Yep. It was. All right. Yeah. And to, and to think, I I've been on the internet for 26 years and it hasn't completely destroyed all of us quite yet. I'll tell you what, Brad. Let's talk a little bit about the guys. Not in the top 10, but I want to start in the top 11. The number 11 wrestler in the world, according to whoever compiled this list, in 1981 was Dick the Bruiser. Yeah. Um, what do you think of that ranking? He's on my question marks list that I have in my notes at number 11. <laughs> I'm, guess- I'm guessing he was still prevalent in St. Louis at that time. That may be part of it. I don't know if they cut up the, the territories and figured it out in that way but dick the bruiser's gotta be in his 50s he's in his 50s i checked (laughs) yeah Um, Uh, yeah that was that's that's the first one that really uh jumps out at me as a a head scratcher in the top 11 as you said okay Um, yeah there's a couple of real head scratchers out there i've got a special one for later yeah one thing i noticed is this seems like a very st louis dominated list and we'll we'll go over that yeah i mean that'll be more and more apparent but yeah dick the bruiser was still prominent in st louis but beyond that i mean he had his small time failing indianapolis promotion but that in st louis was it so that's why i think these guys are based in st louis yeah you can see that with the von erics you can see that with a few other guys that they're they kind of it's kind of st louis centric i believe that's a good way to put it uh number 10 Jack Briscoe. Any thoughts on Jack in 1981? Well, I they had to break up some tag teams, I think, in this list. I believe Jack Briscoe was probably getting pretty close to his Jack and Jerry Briscoe heel turn within a year or two. But um, they're, they're very respectful of the former world champions in this list. And I, I noticed that. I think that's maybe where that comes from. Jack Briscoe, I believe, was probably in the Carolinas, or maybe he was in Central, uh, not Central States, but St. Louis at this point. He was actually uh, still in Florida. He was in Florida. Okay. Well, guess number three, it's Florida. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, he still had it, but he was past it in that sense of being a contender, probably, even though I know he worked against Flair up until about 84, 83. But uh, yeah, that, that one was... Uh, I think also on my list of question marks being that high. Oh, and by the way, Jack Briscoe was still working St. Louis at this point. Uh, yeah, you know, every guy, every, I, I'm going to say occasionally, I mean, just about everyone who worked St. Louis worked there occasionally and he was still in there and that, and him being a former world's heavyweight champion is, is without question why he's so high. But I think in 1981, 10 is very high for Jack Briscoe. I think so too. All right. Number nine, Ken Patera, your thoughts. Um, okay. Ken Patera in 1981 would have been another St. Louis guy, I believe. 
Yes. Um, yeah, uh, I think that helps him. Uh, he came into the AWA in 1982, late 82, and he was kind of lost after that for a bit, but he had the run in New York as well. So, um, yeah, I can justify Ken Patera, I guess, in the top top 10 maybe in 1981. We can nitpick these guys to death, but <laughs> he definitely was – he, he kind of got lost when they made him turned him into a sheik, but at this point he's still really, really prevalent, I think. I'm actually surprised that Patera wasn't higher than number yeah. nine. And one thing I, I forgot to point out about this list, it, apparently the AWA, NWA, and WWF champions were not eligible. So they're not in there. I guess this is like the top 50 contenders. Patera could have been higher because, and we're guessing the time that this was put together, I'm thinking very early 1981. Patera had just lost the Intercontinental title to Pedro Morales, and he was, in 1980, he was the Intercontinental and the Missouri State Champion at the same time, and I've said this before, I think Ken Patera easily could have been the NWA World Champion or WWF World Champion. At that stage, for certain, yep. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I mean, he's he's actually a candidate to be number one, in my mind, quite frankly. Yeah. All right, number eight, they have him as King Kong Brody. I think that kind of cements this being a St. Louis list because he was Bruiser Brody everywhere else. Yeah, he was, and especially in the AWA, he really didn't become King Kong Brody until about that time. So they're being respectful to Dick the Bruiser, I think, with that. Um, I, bro, where's Brody working in 1981? He, of course, he was working some St. Louis. He was in Georgia, but later in 81, like April and May. I think he was primarily in Japan early 1981. Right. Yep. That's Uh, right as well. Number seven, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. What do you think? Well, he's about to get an NWA title reign, I believe. Maybe his third over Harley Race, who's not on the list because he's a champion at this stage. Well, he was still a draw and he was still over and. Uh, maybe not the best worker in the top 10, but um, he was definitely still a draw at that point. And I, you know, like I said, he's about to get a reign. So, yeah, yeah he's, a, I think he's top 10 as far as a draw. Yeah. I mean, he would have been, and, and by this was, I always said, I, I think this list, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't based on, work rate it was kind of an after mag ranking it was based more on push and based on that dusty could have been number one easily i mean he was the top star in florida had been for a long time uh obviously a top contender for the nwa title he was a star everywhere he went especially including i should say when he went to mid-south when he went to georgia when he went to the the mid-atlantic territory yeah, when he worked the Superdome shows and things like that, he was still certainly probably one of the top draws, I've got to say. He and Andre were were kind of the guys that would rotate from territory to territory for, a, you know, like a, to pop a territory yeah. for a show. I so. mean, Dusty is, is on that short list for me as, okay, this guy is in the running for number one. Yeah. Larry Zabisco is number six. So, you know, that might, that kind of tells me that maybe this list was made late 1980 because Zabisco early 81, his push was over in the WWF and he was about to go bye-bye. 
for a while until he turned up in Georgia, I believe, in 83. Yep. Um, there's a couple years in there where he was working kind of East Coast type stuff. But yeah, that seems, Zabisco seems high to me on this list. He seems very high. I mean, even if you would put him, compiled this list any time during 1980, like when you had the, uh, the Shea Stadium show, I mean, six just feels out of control. Brad had mentioned that Zabisco, you know, he was kind of floating around on the East Coast after he left the WWF. I want to say January, February, 81. And I saw him wrestle David Sammartino in Nashua, New Hampshire at St. Stan's Hall, where I would be promoting for a little while about 10 years later. And it was an absolute shock to the system because every WWF show I had ever gone to, I think this was my first non-WWF show. This is summer of 82. You know, WWF always drew a big crowd. If, if they're coming to a high school, an ice arena, the Boston Garden, whatever, there were always a lot of people there. I went to this show and they couldn't even fill the front rows. I counted. It was right around 40 people. Well, that's 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 harsh. Who would have been promoting that? I believe it was Kowalski, but I'm not positive. It was, yeah. I mean, the only recognizable names on the show were David Sammartino, Larry Zabisco, Dominic DiNucci, and then this guy, Ron the Bandit Shaw, who, Brad, well, you may not have even heard of. Well, yeah, I've heard of Ron Shaw. Okay. He yeah. was a WWF prelim guy that got a little bit of a push in this promotion. So, But it was the first time I had front row seats for wrestling, so that was kind of cool. Well, yeah, you and, you know, the other 13. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a night. Anyway. Yeah. Next up, number five, David Von Erich. I am now convinced these people are deep in the heart of St. Louis putting this thing together. Gotta be. And it's, that's one of those, did they know something we didn't know with the whole David Von Erich being promised whatever category. But uh, David Von Erich in 81, it seems very early for him to be that high, and I'm thinking that's probably St. Louis. Yeah, it's it's got to be. I mean, Brad, in your own opinion, do you think David Von Erich was promised the? Oh, I don't think he was promised the NWA title by 1981. I mean, definitely not. But around the time of his death in 1984, do you think he was promised the NWA title? I never bought it. I never bought it. I, seeing his heel work in Florida, just I didn't think it was that great. And I know that that the, the theory is that he was sent there to be able to, you know, heal where he needed to if he did get the belt. I just never bought it. I never thought he was that great. Everyone claims that he was the best Von Erich. He probably was in terms of work, but I never thought that he would be. I never, never saw it panning out that way. I talk too much about David Von Erich <laughs> for yeah. a guy who hasn't been around for almost 40 years. I do believe he would have gotten what Kerry got, which is a very short run with the NWA title, like three, four weeks. And I say that based on the way the promotion was booked, like even as I was watching it in early 1984, like they had stipulations where I was like, okay, how exactly is Ric Flair going to get out of this without David Von Erich being buried on the way out? That's why I think he was going to get a quickie. Um, but I mean, really, that's that's going to be forevermore an unsolved mystery. Definitely, and he may. Who knows? He may have gotten it out of St. Louis too. It wouldn't have necessarily been Dallas. And uh, sadly, you know, Kerry did get the reign based on, sadly, on David's death. So we'll never know for sure. No. 
I mean, you know, no matter who says it, I mean, we're just never going to know for sure. Number four is an interesting candidate. Andre the Giant. What are your thoughts on Andre the Giant being number four? Well, if this is a rankings and they don't have the champions in there, you almost have to think that this is like rankings for titles, mm-hmm. not just rankings for, you know, who's the best and who, you know, who's, who's superior. It's a weird one because he was never going to get a world title. He didn't really have world title matches. I know he had some with Nick Bockwinkle in the late 70s that were the one I've seen on videotape from 76 was passably bad. Um, <laughs> but but he uh, such an attraction. I think he's got to be up there, but not as a contender. I don't see him because they just didn't didn't. He was mostly uh, he was traveling every circuit at this stage pretty much. And, you know, he'd be like a tag team partner. He wasn't challenging too often. I know he did challenge race a few times. Certainly not Backlund. No way. No. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. What what are your thoughts on Andre? Well, uh, two different thoughts. Okay, number one, he's undefeated. Okay, he's never lost a match. So, obviously, he's a contender for that number one spot. The after magazines always used to say that Andre wasn't interested in becoming a world champion, which is why he was never a world champion because he likes to travel. Yeah. Well, like the NWA champion doesn't travel. Right. <laughs> so I always, I always kind of, you know, even as someone who's a little bit of a magazine mark, I, I saw what was going on that he was just best used as an attraction. And there, there was just no way they were putting a world's title on him. Well, cause I mean, how did they get the belt off of him? You know, without ruining him as an attraction. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I saw so much Andre the Giant back in the day that I'm a little bit jealous of myself because a lot of people are like, wow, you got to see him. At one point, I was probably like, I I would say five feet away from him. And he's he was a huge guy. He just sucked up so much space. But any time you saw him wrestle and I'm not just talking about like, you know, when I saw him in Nashua. I'm talking about like in the Boston Garden. You knew he wasn't going to lose. Right. He wasn't going to get pinned. In the AWA territory where I grew up, he was in once a year, maybe twice. In a tag match, you know, as a special attraction. And then he was in the Battle Royal where he, you know, I guess in Battle Royal would be sort of, he was, I guess, the champion of the Battle Royals in a sense. Oh, yeah. that, That was his forte. And, um. You know, when he would come in for the Battle Royal, you know, there's a good chance he was going to win it or be there to kind of elevate somebody else to win it uh, and be, you know, eliminated by some sort of fluke where he chased Bobby Heenan over the top rope or something. Right. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, he was a he was a Battle Royal guy for certain. Now, you see, in the AWA, he was in the WWF. He wasn't. I yeah. don't remember I, I know I didn't see Andre in any battle royals because I would have been shocked to see him eliminated. And as far as the way the other territories used him, they, you know, they, like you said, either he got suckered out or more, more likely he just won the thing. Yeah. And about in half the, the time, yeah, in AWA, about half the time he'd win it. But then they got, you know, of course, they got Hogan in after in 81 later on, which is a different discussion. but. You know, they they really had two guys that were big guys that what are they going to do for eliminating one of them? So exactly. And and yep. in the WWF, 
the winner of the Battle Royal got a phony cash prize, and they got a shot at the champion later in the night. So Andre was far away from that Battle Royal. But oh, I, later I, in the night? That's interesting, because at the AWA, they would have the, it would be the next month. But later in the night's very interesting. Yeah, it's the way they, often it was the way the WWF would sneak in a challenger that might have a good match, but wasn't going to sell a lot of tickets like they did with Iron Sheik slash Hussein Arab in 1979 in Madison Square Garden. Right. Yes, exactly. Now, I've got to ask you an AWA question. Sure. Hulk Hogan is there, and he's their biggest star since he gets there in 81 until his departure in 83. Yep. Did they run an angle where it looked like they were heading towards an Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan match in 83? They did. I think they bumped into each other, backing into each other from you know different corners or whatever it would have been in the ring. I think in the Battle Royal in 82. In 82? Uh, okay. Yeah, where, where it was kind of like, it was 82 or... Ooh, by 83, I, God, I think, I want to say Mad Dog won the Battle Royal, but, but no, I, you're asking if, if they had, they were pre, had a, had a kind of a, a precursor to maybe having them work against each other. Greg Gagne says to this day that, that, that was the plan. Yeah, that, uh, that's why I'm in asking. In 83 into 84 when Hogan left. Yeah, that, that's right. That would have been 83, not 82. To Civic Center, I do remember them definitely bumping into each other. Whether it was 82 or 83, probably 83. They did do that. That did happen. They were uh, Hogan wasn't around, unfortunately, long enough after that to book them to have a match. But I don't know what they would have done. I, 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 who would have been the heel? I mean, obviously, it wouldn't have been Hogan. That's what I'm wondering about. Well, what they would do is they would put them together as a tag team against three guys that were from the Heenan family. Yep. You know, after a battle royal or even on the same battle royal show. But, um, yeah, I don't know how they would have booked that, especially with AWA booking, which wasn't the most sophisticated. No, I mean, it was, I mean, we both grew up in similar territories where, you know, I grew up WWF, you grew up AWA, and it worked. They were successful ventures, but they kept it real simple, man. Yeah, they did. Like two angles a year, I think, was their their rule of thumb, which wasn't, you know, which, which worked, but. It didn't have any competition, so it's hard to say. Exactly. WWF TV was as boring as could be. They ran two or three angles per year, but you know what? I mean, it can be defended. At least every angle means something. I mean, Memphis you know, had so many angles and so many run-ins that at the end of the show, you didn't remember them all. Oh, they were weekly. I, I mean, I burned out. I love Memphis wrestling. When I first started watching it in 87, I burned out of it quickly because how many run-ins can you have per 90-minute program? Right, and Memphis was, like, in, you know, during this year we're talking about, 1981, Memphis was so on fire with Jimmy Hart, you know, being in the hospital bed and just a lot of great stuff. Yeah, I mean, can you but imagine? Not a lot of Memphis to be shown on this, on this list of 50, so. And I'm going to get to that. That's on yes. my notes. Um. But yeah, I mean, can you imagine, like, you know, I mean, Jimmy Hart wins the Southern Heavyweight title. Can you imagine, like, Bobby Heenan winning the AWA title or, or the Grand Wizard winning the WWF title? <laughs> it would have been more like the Grand Wizard. It would have been. 
yeah, it would have been outrageous. But they, they, the way they did it, it makes you laugh and smile still if you see it. So yeah, definitely well, worth with the way he lost the belt. <clears throat> oh yeah, to, to Chick Donovan. Ah, they're having to help him up into the ring. Ah, they're making up parts <laughs> of the thing. <laughs> worth seeking out. Number three, the soon-to-be long-term NWA champion is Ric Flair. Yeah, this one I, I filed under the did they know something we didn't know at this stage. Because Flair is going to get it in Kansas City, and he's going to get it in August of this year. Mm-hmm. And um, Flair is a Carolina's guy at this stage. And, um, well, he's obviously traveling because he wouldn't have been in Kansas City to win the belt, where they did a lot of, like, neutral belt sites type right. stuff. But, yeah, well, Flair is as good as anybody in 1981, and he was ready. But this is still six, seven, eight months off. Of his title reign, so that's that's the one that made me scratch my head and say, did they know something that we didn't know that he was he had this reign coming up? I am guessing that they did not know. As a matter of fact, I am actually guessing that when this list was put together, it had not yet been decided that Ric Flair was going to be NWA World Heavyweight Champion, but he had been one of the top guy, the top guys in Mid Atlantic since 1976, uh, and I believe. That when this list was put together, and again, we're guessing he was either the United States champion or the guys didn't know the guys putting it together didn't know that Roddy Piper had beaten Ric Flair for the United States title. I mean, news got out so slowly back in the day. Yeah, it did. There was no Internet. There was I mean, they would usually on an NWA show, they would announce it the week after that there was a new champion sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, magazine-wise, certainly not for months. No, you wouldn't. I mean, you wouldn't find out from the after mags. It would be like two months before you found out a title change, and that's why when I first got WTBS 1981, I was absolutely shocked to see Ric Flair come onto the podium with Gordon Soley with the NWA Championship title in his hands. Yeah, I think I have that episode. Or I have that clip anyway, but yeah, it was cool. It was it was cool. He he was definitely ready when it did happen. I agree, and he was very different than the previous NWA champions, which I thought was really cool. He was you know not that Jack Briscoe or Dory Funk Jr. are hardly raised. Not that there's anything wrong with those guys, but Flair was just way different than them. Yeah, I mean it was going to end up being him or Valentine uh, somewhere down the road being a world champion, and it was him. But, um, yeah, he was definitely more flamboyant. He had the blonde hair. And he, but he could go. He could go 60 with anybody. So there he was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just an excellent choice. And obviously, he was the biggest star of the NWA in, in the decade of the 80s. Number two is Bruno Sammartino. He was either in the middle of or towards the end of his feud with Larry Zbysko at this point. Your thoughts on Bruno at, at number two? In 1981, I, I, it's a total head scratcher to me. Uh, he could have sold out any. I guess it's probably because he could have sold out any arena with Zabisco um, on the East Coast. Basically, I guess at the end of the day, to have him ranked number two as a contender for what you know? <laughs> yeah. But he's still a massive star. He's at the very tail end. Yeah, I, I, I got him as a question mark. Bruno at number two in 1981 seems. It's probably the rub from his Zabisco feud, but not as a not as a contender, I don't think. 
No, I mean, even in my kayfabe world in 1981, like I knew Bruno just had no interest in becoming a world's heavyweight champion ever again. Uh, at the same time, he doesn't lose any matches ever. Nope. He didn't. And, then he, and, and like I said, what a draw. I mean, he would have drawn years in, after that, but at number two for a top 50 world ranking is, is a little bit lofty in my eyes. In, in my eyes, too. I mean, I can see top 10, but there, I, you know, there are guys I would consider at number one. Ric Flair is another one I would consider at number one. And Bruno just doesn't make that that absolute top shelf to me. Nope. Number one. And I was a little bit surprised by this, but the more I think about it, the more sense it made is, I believe, your favorite wrestler of all time, Nick Bockwinkel. Yeah, I, I think he probably is. When he lost the, t- the title to Vern Gagne in 1980 at Comiskey in the summertime, I don't think there was any doubt that he was, you know, within the business that he was getting it back. after. The Vern was like on his victory lap title reign, sort of. He didn't defend the title very often, not very often at all. And it was pretty clear that Nick was going to get it back and be just as prevalent. And and plus, as far as a performer, he was he was arguably at his peak in '81. I mean, he's still thirty some years into his career, and he's in his late forties. But he he was still great. And I, I I definitely agree with him being number one on the list because he's he's going to get the belt soon again. And um, that was kind of a mess, but the way he did get it, but. Yeah, I agree with him being number one. Yeah, I remember reading in the magazines that they just gave Nick Bockwinkel the AWA title back just because he was the number one contender, even though he had lost cleanly in his last match to Vern Gagne, which I thought made no sense as a kid. Yeah, and I think it was like a week or two afterward, as I remember correctly. And and then Vern came out protesting and saying, this is ridiculous. A tournament would not take that long. and of course, he was his idea, so who knows? <laughs> yeah. So what was it like for you as someone growing up watching wrestling, A, to learn that Vern Gagne had regained the AWA title after all that time? Like, did you guys in Minnesota, did you get any of the buildup from the Chicago show, or did it just come out of nowhere? It just came out of nowhere. I don't think we even knew it was happening. They did play it on, they did air it on TV, which was very, very rare that they would, that they would air a main event or a match from a different market, unless there was an angle involved on AWA TV locally here in Minneapolis, St. Paul. But um, they did show the match and uh, it wasn't particularly good, but Vern had to do that victory lap championship reign, like I said, because he owned the belt and then that happened. But what did we think of it? I, I, I don't know. I, Vern had matches with Jerry Blackwell, but he just, he wasn't, it was, it was a tag territory at that stage when Vern would have the belt. Even the 70-75 Vern Gagne champion he didn't defend that often, he def- more so than he did 80-81. But he, Vern's getting up, you know, he and, he and Nick were in the same age range, but you really couldn't tell that. We saw the match on TV, and that was kind of that, as far as that goes. When I saw Vern Gagne and Nick Bockwinkel in the magazines, I mean, I was like, I looked at Nick Bockwinkel and I'm like, okay, this is an older guy, but he's not like an old guy. Like Vern, I'm like, this is an old guy. Yeah. 
unfortunately it had a lot to do with hair <laughs> but but you know he didn't didn't age as well in the ring i don't believe as as nick did Vern's retirement match with Bachwinkle was awful i thought the one in 1980 where he won the belt in at comiskey in the summer of 1980 wasn't good i just don't think that you know or his comebacks you know any of his coming out of retirement matches he didn't look particularly good but Nick was great until the very end. Oh, yeah. I mean, he he had that match. Uh, I think it, it aired New Year's Eve against Kurt Henning in 1986. And that that was like a four and a half star match. Yeah, it was. It was I think it was a 60 minute draw. It was. And yeah. what's his name? Rod Trongard from the very <laughs> beginning lets us know that this is going to be a 60 minute match when he starts thanking everyone in the production crew like five minutes into it i'm like okay i know what's coming on here aired on new year's correct yes yeah yeah i wasn't around to see it but i I do know it aired on new year's now we've done the top 11 who in your mind do you think should have been on this list but was not like who's the top guy there's one that stands out more than any others and since we've been talking i've added roddy piper but adrian adonis Okay, he's a tag guy, and that may have hurt him in on the list, but I believe that he was probably the premier worker in the business uh, in 1981 for his age group. He was unbelievably great in 1981. He he made those those high flyers East West Connection matches happen, and there were some great ones, some really good ones. And um, you know, he's in '82. He may he went out to New York. But um, in 1981, he's as good as anybody on this list, and he doesn't appear on it. And it's that's that's just bizarre to me. Not as much less not being in the top 11, but he's not even on the list. That's I'm the gonna, most glaring omission to me. I, I'm going to defend these guys a little bit yep. because it's. I don't think it's really a work rate list. I, I mean, obviously, we've got some guys who you know. I, I, you'll see the list if you join the group. You got some guys who just plain are not good workers at this point. And Adonis was a tag team guy. And I'm going to say this too, when it comes to anyone being off the list, including guys that I'm like, okay, this guy's missing. They've only got 50 spots and there were like six or seven, maybe more like eight or nine major territories. And then there's three or four mid majors like Memphis and Portland. Right. Yeah. Portland is very under underrepresented. Yeah. And that was, you know, in my notes, there is no one from Portland. I nope. mean, they might not have been aware that Roddy Piper had come out and won the US title. Okay, so they they don't have Piper on, but if they think he's still in Portland, how is Roddy Piper not on this thing? Yeah, he's one I re- that that I didn't have on my um glaring omissions list, but as we were talking earlier, I I, I penciled him in Roddy Piper. Jimmy Snooker even for eighty one. Uh I don't think he's on here. No, he's not. And that's the thing. It's hard to, to find omissions. I mean, I went through some results, but there are some guys I'm just, you know, not gonna think of. My number one guy, and I, I thought this was outrageous that this person was not on this list. I know Mid South Wrestling did not yeah. get a lot of ink from the after magazines and maybe that reflects on wrestling world. But if you listen to this podcast, I had junkyard dog as wrestler of the year worldwide had a better 1980 than anyone. 
as the number one wrestler in the world, and he's not on this list. JYD, you're t- saying, okay, I thought you were going to go somewhere else. You swerved me. Okay. All right. J- Junkyard Dog, yeah, he's, and he's, he's still very athletic, and he's, he's in good shape, and he's, you know, he's an African-American wrestler, too. I mean, he was an, ex- he was an unbelievable draw, and, and he was, like I said, he was still very athletic at the stage, and yeah, that's a great one to, uh, to point out as being a glaring omission. He was the king of Mid-South Wrestling, and he was in his prime. I mean, he had a Hall of Fame year in 1980. And again, Mid-South is a, a major promotion at this point, and no one from Mid-South. I mean, they've got Ted DiBiase and Dick Murdoch on the list. They've also got, no, just, just those two, and those are St. Louis guys. That's why they're on there. Well, Watts is on there, and I wanted to ask you in the form of a question, what is Bill Watts doing in 1981? He's still working, but is he running Mid-South at that stage? I think he is. I think he is, and I think he's barely in the ring. He's just, uh, I have no idea what he's doing on that list, to be honest Let's with see. you. He comes in, I got to look, I got to refer to my list. He comes in, I can't find him right now, Bill Watts. Oh, he's in my glaring omissions. That's oh, why. okay. All right. Oh, I can yeah. see Bill Watts not being on there because he's yeah. in semi-retirement at this point. Sure. I thought you were going to go with Jerry Lawler. <laughs> I, you know what? This is in my notes. So I was going to talk about it anyway. No better time than right now. Yeah. Another thing I said was, okay, no Portland guys, no Memphis guys. What's going on here? Yeah. And then I started looking back. Jerry Lawler had just returned at the end of 1980 from his broken leg. So they could say, okay, you know, Lawler hasn't been wrestling and we've only got 50 spots. He doesn't get one of them. But then I looked and they, there is a Memphis guy on this list. Tommy rich had not gone back to Georgia yet. So he's on there. So we forgive them for, for not for excluding Memphis because we do have one guy. I've got Rich down here in my notes. Is Rich seems low considering NWA title reign because he'd already been NWA champion. Is that correct? Uh, no, he won oh, the 81. title April 1981, and we're going to have a show where we, where we talk about that. Okay, perfect. 40th anniversary. Uh, okay. Another glaring omission, and it's from Mid-South Wrestling, is Paul Orndorff, who is one at this point Still a top, top guy in Mid-South Wrestling. Yeah. Orndorff is a glaring omission. Didn't have him on my list, but yes, he is indeed. All right. Who else do you have as a glaring omission? Jody Hamilton, who's been wrestling since the 40s, 50s, sorry, uh, late 50s. But when Dusty did get his belt, when he got the NWA belt, Jody Hamilton was his main contender in Florida. And they had some fantastic matches. It was probably the end of his run, but I can see him being in the top 50 because he, you know, like I said, when Dusty was NWA champion, he was the main Florida contender and they had some great ones. Um, that's one of them. Uh, Mr. Wrestling 2. Who's no. not on here? Nope. Oh, my. That is a super glaring omission. I did not realize that. Mr. Wrestling 2 is in, is he in Mid-South. Or is he in Georgia? Uh, he is still in Georgia at this point. Yep, I've got him. Rick Martell. 
Rick Martel is defensible because he's a WWF tag team guy. At the same yeah. time, he's one of the best workers in the sport. Yeah, and Don Morocco. That's my list. Morocco was a top guy in Florida. He was about to explode on the national scene when he becomes comes uh, to the WWF and becomes Intercontinental Champion. But he is definitely an omission, in my opinion. Will, will we get to some of the guys who are on this list where we kind of say you've got to be kidding me. Um, yeah, my question marks list is a lot longer than my glaring omissions. <laughs> all right. On my glaring omissions, oh, you're going to love me for this. I mean, yeah. if they have to have a Portland guy, and I think they do, it's going to be oh. your your old pal Playboy Buddy Rose. Yeah. Well, top 50, yes, for sure. Yeah, I mean, again, just to get Portland acknowledged, I would have Buddy Rose in there. Or if they did, if Roddy Piper was in there, I would say forget it. But I think Rose, you got to have room for a Portland guy. Killer Khan was in the middle. He was considered the number one contender to Bob Backlund at this point. I think you make room for that guy. Well, yeah, I mean, he'd, he'd, he'd done the, the unthinkable to Andre the Giant. Well, they booked it that way anyway. With the broken ankle, what's the date on that? Oh, that was, I want to say, sometime in the spring. So we can forgive them for that one, too. Good. Okay, good. All right. All right. Yeah, and another call. one that I think they should have been rumored for, and again, I, I acknowledge they've only got 50 spots, was the mass Superstar. Oh, yes. I mean, yes. top guy in mid-Atlantic, you know, Doing the, I think, I think at this point he was doing the uh, Mass Superstars one and two with Big John Stud, who did make the list. So I, I would have made room for Edie. Definitely. Yep. Not uh, all right. A great one. Brad, who is on this list? The number one guy that makes you say, okay, what are these guys thinking? Superstar Billy Graham. He's my number two. And I could see Superstar Billy Graham because. He basically was no longer in the business. No, not in 1981. He didn't make his uh, WWF comeback until 1982, which was not good. But uh, in 1981, he's not even in the business. And I think in his book, he's talking about working uh, flea markets and not not as a wrestler. (laughs) Oh, I mean, there are stories about superstar Billy Graham just hanging out on his couch for like five years. When his uh, wife or uh, it was his girlfriend was out working at a pharmacy. Yeah, not a good pick. I mean, he's really low. He's at 48. It's almost like the respect to the former champions type of thing, which they but, did. But yeah, that's my my loudest question mark. Superstar Graham in 1981. Are uh, you know but what? He's your number two. He's my number two. And I just learned something. He worked Houston a bunch of times, meaning exactly 14 times in the year of 1980. That's it. I mean, 14 matches should not get you on this list. I get that they respect the former world's champions, but at this point, you know, for me, superstar Billy Graham was on the back of a milk container. He definitely was. He, he, nobody fell quicker. I don't think after he lost belt in 78. No, I mean, we talked about Graham just last week, but I mean, you're right. That was a, a quick ascent and a quick descent. My number one, and this was pretty cool because I learned something about this. They had Gene Kaniski at number 43. 43. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, okay, I remember in the wrestling magazines when I first started buying them in 1976, the whole latter part of the decade into 1980, 
there was exactly one article where Kaniski was included. And that's because he and Jack Briscoe in St. Louis teamed up against Terry Funk, who was then the NWA champion and Dory Funk Jr. Kind of a cool match, but like that was Gene's only involvement in wrestling that I knew of for like, you know, from 1976 on. Yeah. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. Um, He's 43 and he's 63 years old. That's a joke. (laughs) I don't think he's that old. I think he was in his 50s. Yeah. Well, so so are we. (laughs) Yeah, really? But (laughs) we're not ranked number 43. No, we're not. We're not. (laughs) We're not. But yeah, Gene Kaniski, I have a a red arrow next to on my question marks as well. That's a great, great pick. I've got another one that I just didn't understand, which was Hulk Hogan at number 12. Well, you know what? Before we get to that, I want to share information on Gene Kaniski. Like, I'm like, okay, am I crazy? Did he work a lot of St. Louis, like, during this time frame? So I managed to find a Gene Kaniski record book, which is something really cool about living in 2021. 30 years ago, I would never have access to something like that. And I learned that as soon as Kaniski dropped the uh, NWA title to Tory Funk Jr. in 1969, this guy basically retired. Yeah. He was done. I had no idea. He wrestled infrequently in Vancouver, and then he barely wrestled in Portland and Seattle, and then there were very infrequent trips to St. Louis, I would say averaging maybe once a year. As soon as he dropped that belt, he was done. Yeah, it's, that's that's a, a real head scratcher. I mean, more so probably than superstar Billy Graham. He's hey. 43. Yeah. And I mean, I've heard, you know, nothing, I'm not going to say anything disrespectful about Gene Kaniski, but right. he had a reputation in the business as not only a guy who saved his money, but a real cheapskate. So good for him. He could drop the title and go home and retire. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in 1969 NWA title money, I don't know what that would have been, but if he was able to save it, more, more power to him. I mean, he, the NWA champion made more money than Mickey Mantle, more money than Willie Mays. You know, it, it was a prime spot in sports. Yeah. Even uh, back when the admission was 250 for ringside. Yeah. But I mean, today's money, certainly. So number 12, Hulk Hogan, what do you got? Okay. Hulk Hogan isn't over in the AWA yet. Um, that wasn't happening until midway through the year. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if this wasn't because they they saw his role in the Rocky movie. No, that wasn't out yet. It wasn't out yet. Yeah. I I don't think one. Okay. Yeah. I don't think he had even, he was about to like towards the middle of 1981. I want to say like April, May Rocky three started shooting and he took some time off from the business for that. And for some reason, Vince McMahon senior got really mad over it, at least according to Hogan. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, 81, was he still? Oh, I guess he's, was he working with Atlas? Uh, not yet. I think he was still working with Andre for the most part, which is why he was ranked so highly. Like, uh, end of 1980. So, yeah, he was still going around the horn against Andre. Yeah. Okay. So, I, uh, well, when you're working with Andre, I guess that does give you the rub for sure. But he wasn't o- super over as the baby face. Until probably October, November of 1981 in the AWA. 
Yeah, Hulk Hogan at number 12, frankly, was very high for this time. But, I mean, he was on, you know what? He was on the cover of the magazine, so that might have had something to do with it. Uh, was he on the cover of the Wrestling World magazine? Uh, on this, on the magazine we're talking about, yeah. He oh, has Ivan oh. Putsky, uh down down with a, uh, what is a test of strength. Oh, well, that's perfect. <laughs> that explains it. I just thought of that. Yeah, I will put the link to Wrestling Scan so everyone can see the whole magazine as well on the Facebook group. Brad, who else do you think on this list is kind of, you know, a little bit high for your taste? A little bit high? Um, yeah, I've how- got like one more. Can I give you one that I think is a little bit low? I think I've maybe exhausted my my list of guys that were high. I think would that be okay? I'll Can tell you what. Let me give you my my last yeah, one perfect. that's too high, and that's Mark Lewin. I mean, he is where is one. He? Yeah, he is. Where is he? Let me take a look. No, I mean, where is he working in '81? I think he was still in Dallas. Okay. So he was one of the top guys in Dallas, and I know he had a reputation. You know, I mean, he's been around the wrestling business forever, but I mean, even I could tell this was this guy was getting old, and I think they could have found a better candidate for number forty-five, like Lawler, for example. Yeah, you know, and he he had the resurgence in in eighty-two, eighty-three, well, eighty-three in Florida, but it was a pure gimmick thing. But he sure kept himself in great shape. But yeah, in 81, certainly, um, that's a questionable call. Yeah, I, I agree. Okay, who do you think is too low? Greg Valentine. Greg Valentine is number 17, and yeah. he has already replaced Ric Flair, because Ric Flair is now a babyface, as the top heel in Mid-Atlantic. I, he, You know what? He's another guy you could argue for number one. You could at that stage for certain. And I remember I remember many times you recollecting that you were sure, absolutely positive that Greg Valentine was going to win the belt from Bob Backlund in Madison Square Garden. It is hard to believe that that was almost 40 years ago, October 19th, 1981. I, I, I was convinced we were going to have a new champion and he was going to have a superstar Billy Graham type reign with the belt. And we are going to talk about just that on our <laughs> Wednesday show coming out, October 15th, 2021. Look forward to it, everybody. Anniversary. Yeah. I mean, talk about, you know, just guys getting old. I can't believe, you know, I'm saying I can't believe that was 40 years ago. That's insane. Yeah, it is. We haven't changed that much. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I think I've, I, there are people who listen to this show who knew me when I was in my 20s or, you know, mid 20s, early 20s, going to wrestling stuff. And it's OK, kids. I have calmed down. Believe me. <laughs> Thankfully, <laughs> I've changed a little bit. One guy I we, we talked about this a little bit last night. One guy we both thought was a little bit low at number 40 is Pedro Morales. Now. They might not have known at the time this list was put out that Pedro Morales had won the Intercontinental Championship from Ken Patera. I think that was December 9th, 1980 at Madison Square Garden. But, I mean, you know he's getting a big push in the WWF. Yeah, and he did pretty well with that Intercontinental title reign, too, as if I recall correctly. But, yeah, he's, he's way down. He's 40. 
So, yeah, he should should have been higher, considering you know the belt he was about to get. Yeah, and he was still pre- presented even before he got the belt. He was presented as a, a major star in the WWF, and he had two runs with the Intercontinental Championship. Yep. Um, and both of them, I mean, he established himself as a rock solid number two guy behind Bob Backlund. I mean, those, those were two very well-booked reigns at the time. I didn't like the second one because yeah, I had just seen Pedro Morales as intercontinental champion. I, I didn't want Morocco to have it for seven, you know, six or seven months and have it go back to Pedro. But looking back, it was the right decision. Yeah, I agree. All right. And let me see. And anyone else you think is kind of there's one other guy I think is like way too high. But who who else do you have? I got Brody seems high at eight for eighty one. Did we already talk about Brody? We Perhaps. we did, but yeah. you know you, okay, you didn't. Anyway. You never said like he was too high at number eight. And I bet if I went back forty years ago, I'd be like, why is he number eight? That's way too high. Yeah, yeah. We talked about him right off the bat. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um, uh, nope. That's what I've got. That's okay. what I've got for question marks. Uh, uh, I'm believe sure you've it or got not, more. If you had shown me this in 1981, I would say, wow, Mil Mascaris is too low because the After Magazines, once again, we're talking about them, presented Mil Mascaris as one of the elite stars in the wrestling business. So if you had me at 15 years old doing this list, he would have been in the top 10. He was still getting covers for After Mags, not exclusive covers but he'd be like a smaller picture on the cover yeah and you know it wasn't like he was when he was iwa champion when after wanted him to be the the biggest thing in the world in 75 but yeah um he was a huge draw when they would bring him in to texas and things like that um i think that they did a like a dusty finish with him and and in bockwinkle in houston yeah or san antonio one of the two no, I believe it was in Houston. Okay. Um, I could be wrong, though. It might have been San Antonio. I think you're right. But yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, Mil Moscaris got a full cover on Pro Wrestling Illustrated in 1983, if I recall correctly. Yeah. And then when he was one of the thousands of guys the WWF brought in in 1984, I was like, oh, wow, Mil, Mil Moscaris is going to get a huge push, maybe the Intercontinental title, who knows? And it turned out he was just, he got totally lost in the crowd and wasn't around for long. Well, he, he wouldn't do jobs. I mean, it was kind of like why Abdullah the butcher, you know, that sort of thing. They couldn't bring him in week after week after week or month after month. Even when he would get the, the shots with, with superstar Billy Graham, where, you know, he, he came out of that looking really good, looking yeah. really strong, but that's years before this. So yeah, hard to say. All right. This show was exactly what I wanted it to be. It was a fun run through a little bit of wrestling nostalgia, and I picked the right guy to do it with. with, with do it with Brad. Thank you oh, for coming thank on. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be on every time. You're you're always welcome, and and we'll definitely have you back again in the near future. Thank you. I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to Stick to Wrestling every week. Thank you so much. I want to thank our producer, Lightning, Lou Kippelman, for all the great work he does and all the flexibility he offers when it comes to recording these podcasts. Just a great guy. And this has been a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. We'll see you next week. This concludes our podcast day.